It's hard to believe that a whole year has gone by since we reported to you on the work in Connecticut, but it has, and time goes by so fast. I think it was Katie Couric that said the other day that the days don't always go by fast. Some of them drag by, but the years fly by, and I've certainly found that to be the, the same myself. And it's such an honor to be with you. Paul and I always enjoy coming to the downtown church, and you have such beautiful singing. And uh, we just think about you many times, and there are many churches that don't have the beautiful singing that you do, and the love and the fellowship that all binds you together as a, as a wonderful family of God in this community. I want to do two things tonight. One is I'd like to study with you from the Word of God. The second thing I'd like to do is to tell you about our work in Connecticut and what's happened in the last year. And so if we could do the first first, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And we're going to look at a few verses that come to us from this chapter. On one occasion, Jesus was approached, or his disciples were approached, by some Greeks who said they wanted to see Jesus. And the Bible says that uh, Philip, this is verse 22, Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus about their request. I'd like to pick up now in verse 23 and read a few verses with you. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Verse 27. My heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Verse 30. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not for mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. This he said, showing the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light for just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark will not know where he is going. 
Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become the sons of light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself. The phrase, the hour, or this hour, is an important phrase in the Gospel of John. It occurs a number of times. It is that pivotal point in history that something is going to happen. That Jesus would look forward to that in anticipation of it and call it the hour. And then when it arrives, he would say, and the hour has come. What he is talking about here is the hour of his suffering and death on the cross where he would pay the price for you and for me to be set free from our sins. And as he talks about this, he raises the question, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? And he answers it, no. I'm not going to ask God to save me and preserve me or protect me from going through what I have to go through in this hour. But I will pray this, Father, be glorified in this hour because it is for this very hour that I have come. Jesus came to experience the cross. And in the cross, his father would be glorified and was glorified. You'll probably notice as you've read these verses that he talks about the father being glorified and the son being glorified at the same time and at the same hour. For example, in the verses that we started out with, look at the 23rd verse. Jesus said, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And then when we get down to verse 27, my heart is troubled and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And the voice from heaven said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. He's talking about when that hour came and Jesus hung on that cross. When the Father is glorified, the Son is glorified. And when the Son is glorified, the Father is glorified. The next event is a wonderful miracle. A miracle in which the Father responds to the prayer of His Son. He says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. There were people who heard that. And there were some who said, that sounded like a clap of thunder. And other people said that was the voice of an angel speaking to Jesus. It's been interesting as we all have had similar experiences in our lives that we present the gospel to people and, and you get one of two reactions. One of them is that this message that you're handing out or talking about doesn't really appeal to me. I find nothing attractive about it. I don't even understand the relevance of it, and it's no more significant to me than a clap of thunder would be. And then there are others who hear the same message, and they say, I recognize that there's the divine voice. This is a language 
A language has been spoken. It has come from heaven itself. And this is the message that I understand and I will believe and I will obey. And I guess as long as earth stands, we're going to have those two reactions that occurred that day when on a miraculous, in a miraculous way, the voice of God came to answer the prayer of Jesus. And some understood it to be the voice from heaven, and others said it's no more meaningful than a clap of thunder. I've wondered if the people who said this was the voice of the angel or the angel speaking to the son, if they understood the actual words. I don't know. I tend to think that some of them probably did understand the actual words. And the reason for that is because in the next verse, Jesus said, what you heard was not for my benefit. It was for your benefit. And then he goes on to talk about the cross. Can you imagine some of the people who were at the cross had also been there that day when the voice from heaven came from God himself saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. And Jesus tied all of that together with what was going to happen when he hung on the cross. Was there, was there any impact in the hearts of people who stood at the foot of the cross and who could say, I remember when the voice from heaven came and the voice said, I will glorify it again. And to them, they tied that in with this day and this miracle and deepened their faith that the one who hung on that cross was nothing other, no one else other than the very Son of God. And Jesus then went on to say, And when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Was there anybody that was drawn to Christ? Did anybody give their heart over to God the day that they saw Jesus hang, hang on that cross? Undoubtedly, there were many more than what we have actually told about in Scripture, but we know of at least two in Scripture itself. One of them was a man that hung next to Jesus on the cross and who recognized that the one who had been lifted up was the very King of kings and the Lord of lords and said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And to him, Jesus replied, today you will be with me in paradise. There was a man who recognized that Jesus died as no human being would die. He had to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was drawn to him when he was lifted up on that cross. And then there was a man who stood at the foot of the cross, a centurion, who witnessed the whole event. And when it was all over, he was so convicted in his heart that Jesus was not just a simple human being that he exclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. So we know of two people who were drawn to him when he hung on the cross that day. But there undoubtedly were many others and some of them would have been present 
when the incident we have just read took place and they remembered that day and they too wanted to give their lives to the one who glorified his father by the way he died. Now there are some who I think misunderstanding the reference to being lifted up have tied it into the ascension of Jesus and truly in the ascension he was lifted up from the earth but I don't think that's what he's talking about here and one reason I think he's talking about the cross is that verse 33 says and he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He's talking about his death. He's talking about being elevated and suspended between heaven and earth just as Moses had lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. This is the Son of Man who is to be lifted up from the earth. And in that day, in that moment, in that action, on that cross, Jesus Christ drew men to himself. Now are there any positive and practical applications from these verses that we want to make to our lives? I think there are and I'd like to share some of them with you at this time. One of the things that I see here are motivations that will help us, all of us, to want to share the gospel with other people. Whether you live in Cedar Hill, Texas or in New Milford, Connecticut, these are the motivations that drive and compel us to spread the gospel. Number one, the first motivation is our gratitude for what happened that day on the cross. Jesus paid the price for our sins. And that message will still resonate in the hearts of honest and good people even today. Number two, to be in compassion for those who are still walking in the darkness. You know, when you walk in the darkness, it's just like Jesus said, you don't know where you're going. If you've ever had an experience of getting up late at night and there's no lights on and you don't know that there's an obstacle on the floor and you hit it with your toes, you certainly know that you didn't anticipate that. But it just happened because you were in the dark and you didn't know where you were going and what was in your path. And so it is with people spiritually. Just as Jesus had great compassion for people who were in ignorance and sin, didn't understand the purpose of life, didn't know what was coming hereafter, did not know how to get there, even if they understood a little bit about what would happen afterwards. They were really just in darkness, and the Lord had such great compassion for them that he couldn't keep silent. He had to talk to them about the darkness, and he had to talk to them about the light, and he had compassion that drew people to him, just like when we have compassion on people who do not know God's will and God's way, and we want to share with them the light that they do not have. And the third motivation for sharing the gospel is that we're not going to have forever to do that. Jesus said, walk in the light while you have the light. But he tells us that the darkness is going to be there, and you need to believe and walk in the light 
while the darkness is being driven out. But if you don't do that while you have the chance, the darkness will overtake you. And verse 36, he put it like this. Put your trust in the light while you have the light so that you may become the sons of light. And that really is what still drives us on, that we know that we have only a short time before the light and the chance and the opportunity to respond to the light will no longer be made available to the people of earth who still walk in the darkness and then the darkness will overtake them. And it is because the cross is the message that draws people to God and to the light. And it is because we care when people don't have the light that we want to share the light, the gospel with them before it's everlastingly too late. And isn't it interesting that at, at the end of this brief lesson that Jesus hid himself, he finished speaking, he went on and hid himself from them. He said what he wanted to say and that was all he wanted to say. And those who would receive it would receive it and those who didn't would not. And he was gone then. The light had walked away. We don't want the light to walk away. We want to cling to the light, believe and trust in Jesus, the light of the world, while we have the opportunity. Now I'd like to move from this lesson to talking about the, the work in Connecticut and what's happening in the Lord's Church in Connecticut. Connecticut, for all of you that don't know by now, is uh, situated next to New York on the west and next to Rhode Island on the east and Massachusetts on the north and the Long Island Sound on the south. It's an old city, an old community, dates back to the very early 1700s. And back in those days when the early people came to settle in the New England states and the colonies, they would almost always plan their towns with a green in the center of the community and the churches built around the green. The green could be a very large area like the one in New Milford, Connecticut, which is about three blocks long. And at that time, people would bring their animals so they could graze in the green. When they came to town, they would bring the livestock with them, the sheep and other things with them, and, and they would be on the green while the people were doing shopping or whatever was going on around the green. But after a while, folks said, we really don't really appreciate that what the animals do to our green, and so we're going to make it illegal for animals to roam around on the greens. And so even to this day, animals are not part of the scene of the greens in the New England states. But the beautiful grass and the shrubs and the trees unite the city around that park. So New Milford is a town like that, like almost all New England towns are. And it has a beautiful lake, Lake Candlewood, and people come into the community, into the downtown on special occasions, and, and uh, today they have some snow, and I'm not sure how many people were able to actually get out and come to worship uh, in the northeastern states or in New Milford, but it would not have been a normal day 
for most congregations if they got to meet at all. Here is a, cop here is a picture of the church building. It is situated uh, on Route 202, which is just a couple of miles north of, of the hospital. And um, the church had built, was built there in 1978. And during this period of time when the church was beginning, it was meeting in an elementary school, and it continued to meet in that school for about 10 years. And then it built the church building that now exists about two miles north of the green in the hospital on Route 202. It did have elders at one time, but uh, these elders, uh, some of them, perhaps all of them, were not really qualified to serve, and the eldership was dissolved, and the church then uh, continued without elders. Uh, and during this same period of time, a new congregation was started up in Torrington, which is about 25 miles north. Uh, but after several years, the congregation just couldn't make it, and so uh, the, what members were left came to New Milford and began meeting with the church in New Milford. When you drive up the driveway, this is a, one scene of the church building. When you go along the highway, this is another scene. And uh, you can see there that uh, there are now about 62 members. Last year when we were here, we had about 40 members. So the church has grown significantly uh, in the last year. And there are some reasons for that. But now on a typical Sunday, the church will, attendance will run somewhere between 55 and 60. And the contribution budget is about 1700 a week. When you walk into the building, uh, the first thing that you'll be in, of course, is the foyer. And on either side of the foyer are tracks. And we want people to know who we are and what we teach, what we believe, and we encourage them to take whatever tracks they would like to take home with them at the end of the service. This is the auditorium. It'll seat about 100 people. And when you get about 65 or 70 people in it, it looks pretty full. And uh, this is the downstairs of the church building. It's the fellowship hall where we get together for Bible classes and then regular Sunday school rooms such as this one. And this is where we often have fellowship meals. And as the church has been growing through this year, we've run into a significant problem since I saw you last. We just didn't, don't have the room to park the cars. And so we have uh, enough space uh, just maybe for most people, but not enough for uh, visitors as well as all the members. So we, we made a deal, uh, as Donald Trump would say, and the deal was with the neighbor next door who owned a commercial lot with a commercial parking spaces for about 23 cars. And he said we could, at the church's expense, put in a walkway connecting his driveway with the church driveway. And so even though it doesn't look like it in this next picture, that walkway is about three feet wide and now covered with some leaves. But every Lord's Day, some park in that lot, some park behind the church building, and we no longer have a problem we were running into where visitors couldn't find a place to park and turned around and drove away. So now everybody has a place to park. And here are some of the things that are going on as the, as the church is growing. Number one, we usually have visitors from the community on any given Sunday. If, if all of our young people, kids were present of all ages, we'd have about 25 
of them. The worship service is exciting and heartfelt and sincere like yours was here tonight as well. And the one thing that I can say about Tim is that when he preaches the Word of God, he preaches what the Bible says, and he doesn't try to change it or to please uh, anybody. He just teaches the Scripture. The spirit of unity and love prevail in the congregation, and if everybody was there that could be there, there would be 70 plus the visitors that happened to come on that Sunday. But as my secretary at the White Rock Church in Dallas used to say, Getting all the members there at the same time is like getting all the fleas in a shoebox to stay there. When two jump in, three jump out. And so it is, I think, that there's not a church anywhere in the country where all the people who could be there are there on any given Sunday. But it's nice to know what the potential would be if that did occur. This is our son Tim and his wife Renee. And Tim is in his 12th year with his congregation, and that undoubtedly has contributed to the growth of the church because for a period of years, the church was going through a new minister about every three years and some every, every six months. And when you have that kind of turnover in the pulpit, it's very hard to build a stable church. And Tim has now been with this congregation, and the fruits of his stability with them are showing up as people come to the congregation and have a high respect for it. Here is a copy of our newspaper ads that we run. Uh, this, excuse me, this is a copy of the Christ for Today that you help to, to send out to people all over New England. And be sure to get your copy that's in the foyer this time. The theme is the Holy Spirit. And I think you'll enjoy reading that. And then here is a sample of the newspaper articles that are run once a week in the New Milford newspaper. Vacation Bible School is an annual event for us. And last year we centered it on the theme of uh, the Spiritual Olympics. And uh, like the, in the previous year, we had outsiders to come. I told you last year about this lady who brought her children to Vacation Bible School. She was an agnostic, and in the months that followed, she gave her life to Christ, became a believer, and to this very moment tonight is still faithful to the Lord and raising her children to be faithful. One thing that this congregation does in New Milford is to have Friends' Days, and we have two of those uh, every year, and the members really... Uh, uh, devote themselves to bringing their friends and relatives and neighbors to visit the church on that day. And we have one in the spring and one in the fall, and usually Friends Day provides us with prospects that we can teach uh, at other times in the year. At Christmas time, some of the members create little baskets to give to homeless people. And in those little uh, bags of things, uh, they put uh, what you will find when you go to any motel. You'll find a bar of soap and a little bottle of shampoo and a bottle of conditioner and a bottle of lotion. And uh, so as Christians from the New Milford Church travel, they try to collect those from the hotels and bring them back. And, and last year, we filled about 80 of those bags 
with those supplies and other things, socks and other things that had been uh, uh, given uh, to, for this purpose. And uh, here are some of the ladies that are active in our weekly ladies Bible class on Wednesday morning. And we still have some who attend that are either unfaithful Christians or who have not yet become Christians. Here is a Wednesday night downstairs a Bible study with some of our kids and the adults also gathered around, around the table there for our Bible study. And here is one of the three picnics that the church sponsors every year at the city parks. And again, the members invite friends and relatives to come to these picnics where they can meet friends. And out of the friendships developed at the picnics on uh, Memorial Day and July the 4th and, and Labor Day, uh, we can develop friendships and then follow up with Bible studies with some of these individuals. Here, this lady, whose name is Pam, had been a Jehovah's Witness, and she had studied herself without ever knowing us, but she studied herself out of the Jehovah's Witness teachings, and for a while was attending a Baptist church, but she was reading Christ for Today and the newspaper ads, and she came to church, and she liked what she heard, and we studied, studied with her for a few weeks, and she wanted to be baptized, just as the Bible teaches us in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and for the forgiveness of her sins. But I want you to pray for Pam. She has decided that maybe she was premature in making that commitment to the Lord. And a few weeks after her baptism, she thinks that God spoke to her in the night and said, don't go back to the church. So we're hoping to be able to help her to learn that God never gives messages that are contrary to his written word. And uh, so i like for you to pray for Pam because she would and will be such a great asset to the, to the church in New Milford. Here are some of the people that have come to worship with us at the top uh, on the, your left, right? On your left. This is the Melillo family who were worshiping in Danbury but the church there had dwindled in size and there were no other children or maybe just two other children in the congregation and they wanted their two daughters to go to a congregation where there were some Christian children that they could associate with and so they decided that they would place their membership with New Milford. He served as a deacon in the Danbury Church and we're thankful that they're still very active. Uh, Bim Gibbons is a member of their family uh, these that are at the bottom were members of the church up in Torrington where the church just uh, couldn't afford its rental facilities and, and they just had to shut down. They lost their preacher and he lost his support and so it just seemed that that was the best thing that they could do. They, 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 they gave uh, their furnishings to other new congregations that are being started up their baptistry went to Middletown, New York, where a new building is being built. Uh, their chairs went to Union City, New Jersey, where a congregation has been planted. And so they, they spread things out to help other churches.
but they themselves decided to come and worship with us in New Milford. One Sunday morning, this lady from Liberia visited our services. She said, I am a member of the Church of Christ from Liberia, and I have been looking, I've been, I have moved into the New Milford area, and I live up behind the church building, and I have been looking for the Church of Christ, like I knew it in Liberia. And my relatives with whom we live have been taking me around to this Baptist church and that Baptist church and some other kind of church, and, and I know that's not the church that I'm looking for. And let me tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the Church of Christ that has the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And the one that does not use instrumental music. And the one that doesn't clap. <laughs> so I said, you have found the right place. And she had moved in with relatives just behind the church building on the next street. But there was almost a jungle of overgrowth between that house and the church's property. And she had to walk all along her street down a winding hill to the state highway, 202, and along that highway to the church building, up the driveway, and then into the church building. It was about a mile altogether that she had to walk. And the first day she came, she came with one little child in hand, another one in the baby carriage, pushing that baby carriage all the way there. She has been such a wonderful Christian sister. And the men in the congregation went out and they cut a path through that mess of a jungle that connects with her house behind the building. And now she can walk directly from her house right through that path onto the church parking lot. Her husband, on the other hand, is a denominational preacher. And uh, he has come to America in the hopes of raising money so that he can go back to Liberia and support his denominational churches that he's been preaching for. But I think we have a chance, a good chance, of teaching him the truth. We have started, and I said, what would you like to start with? He said, I'd like to start with the study of instrumental music and why you don't have it. So that's where we started. We went through about two lessons, and I think he decided that's all he wanted to hear about that. And uh, so he sort of dropped out. But now he is renewing his interest, and we have a lot of things to cover, as you would know. And we'll be covering those fundamental differences between the Lord's Church and churches that are different in their teaching and worship practices. But his name is Jupiter. So if you would pray for Jupiter to open his heart and, and accept the word of God, that would be wonderful. And wouldn't it be great if we could send him back to Liberia as a faithful gospel preacher to bring those people that he knew before into the Lord's plan. Frank and Kathy Goodyear have been worshiping over in Poughkeepsie, New York, and actually they live even further west across the Hudson River, and they got into a situation in their congregation where the truth was not being upheld, and a faction was growing and developing, uh, and basically the faction taught 
that Christians can reach a point that they never sin and that they're never tempted. And apparently there are some people in the world who think they've reached that, but I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, and it tore that church all apart to have that doctrine taught there. And so they decided that they were going to leave along with a number of others, but they now drive an hour and a half on Sunday morning to get to New Milford where they know that the truth is being taught. And their daughter and new son-in-law have also started coming from the New Milford congregation. They're newlyweds and they live quite a bit closer uh, to, uh, to us than do their parents. This is our website and on the website uh, you, there's a notice there that the Church of Christ offers Bible studies. And uh, one young lady in the town was looking for a church that taught the Bible. You know, you'd think that any church would do that, but that just really is not the case. And she wanted to find one that taught the Bible. And she saw that website and she began coming on Wednesday night to our Bible classes. And her name is Annie. So while you're making notes of people to pray for, there's three people that I've mentioned. One, Pam, who was baptized and then fell away after hearing a voice in the night. And then secondly, I want you to pray for Jupiter, that he will open his heart and become a faithful preacher of the gospel. And then thirdly, I want you to pray for Annie, that she will continue to come and that she'll also learn and obey the Lord. Well, the church in New Milford is a church that is influencing other congregations and helping them with challenges that they're facing. I've already mentioned that the church in Poughkeepsie has had some challenges and I and others in the New Milford Church have helped those who wanted to be faithful. Now, sometimes we have area-wide singings and we invite Christians who live within an hour's distance and churches within an hour's distance away and there are several of those in about an hour's distance to come in for Christian fellowship and singing Many of them are in small churches that the singing is not good at all. And when they get to hear the singing of over a hundred Christians, they're just thrilled. Many for the first time in their lives have that opportunity. Tim goes to the men's business, uh, uh, men's Bible studies, the preacher's Bible studies in Hartford. And uh, he helps those preachers also with uh, the struggles that they're having. And so we're helping congregations by holding up the light and being faithful to God and being an encouragement to them. In Poughkeepsie, New York, and also in Union City, New Jersey, where a new church has been planted in the town in New Jersey that is the most densely populated city in the United States. And during this past year, five were baptized into Christ in that new congregation. And also in other places of Connecticut and Massachusetts and Rhode Island, the influence of the New Milford Church is being felt. So I want to thank you so much for all that you do for the Lord's work in the Northeast, and particularly in Connecticut and New Milford. I thank you for your prayers, your diligent concern. I thank you for your contributions that enable us to do more than we otherwise would be able to do. Now this evening, it may be that there's someone 
who has been walking in the darkness that would like to begin his walk in the light. Would you this evening, through faith in Jesus, who was lifted up from the earth, give yourself to him and be drawn to him by a faith that obeys, that repents of sins committed, and that is baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you've wandered away from that commitment, come back, if you would, tonight while we stand together and while we sing. Hmm. 